The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, happy Friday. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salek. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And for today's special edition of the programme, we're looking at the crisis in higher education brought about by what's been happening with COVID-19 and how it's affecting students and, of course, the staff teaching them. Now, many thousands of students across the country are stuck in lockdown in their halls of residence as the virus surges in the undergraduate population. Yeah, lots of question marks, aren't there, around how the students who are in isolation are being fed, how their mental health is holding up, their physical welfare as well. You've only got to flick through the papers and the news websites to see lots of accounts from students across the country in in quite adverse circumstances. And if they're being taught, it's mostly online. And as many have pointed out, they could do that from home without having to travel hundreds of miles in many cases and pay £9,000 or in some cases more a year for that privilege. And this is the generation of new students, of course, already let down by an education system that failed to make adequate provision for the A-levels that brought them to the university all in the year of COVID-19. They could be forgiven for being angry and worried. Well, we're going to explore what those who make decisions about their future have to say about this mess. Well, joining us now to discuss this is Daniel Zeichner. He's the Labour MP for Cambridge. Daniel, good to have you. Let's start with Cambridge, the University, Cambridge University, one of those who have said that all of the lectures are going to be online. Some of them uh, are going to have a bit of group teaching, small group teaching. You've got weekly supervisions. Uh, that Some of that is going to be done in person, but largely online. Do you think that's worth the money, the £9,000 a year? I do, because I think still a university education is extremely valuable for everybody. Um, but of course, it's a, it's a different, uh, different experience. And I have every sympathy with students who are facing a very different kind of university induction to those of their predecessors. So these are very challenging times. And it is a large amount of money. I mean, what about a discount at least or some sort of additional grant to help the, the, the students through this period? Because it's always a massive financial outlay for people. And, and at this point, they may think, well, we're not really getting value for money. Well, I understand that. I mean, you remember that at the general election last year, my party um, had a very radical proposition which um, would have eliminated some of those payments. So uh, this this is a a long-running discussion around the value for money. But still, I think all the evidence shows that overall, a university education is good value, but not just in economic terms, in terms of personal development and in terms of just improving um, individual capacities. So it's still worthwhile. 
What about the level of planning around this? Because there's been a lot of time throughout the summer to prepare for universities, for the government. Uh, the best way of accommodating students, given the circumstances, we're now looking at a pretty grim winter, students away from their families, many of them for the first time. Was this properly thought through? Is this really the best that could have been offered? Well, absolutely not, and I'm afraid just as the, the government was too slow at the beginning in terms of PPE, in terms of protecting care homes, this was completely predictable that when you got nearly a million people moving around the country at the same time, there were going to be problems. And it keeps coming back to the same point that you need a reliable test, track and trace system. And unfortunately, we haven't got that. And that, I think, is why we're seeing the problems in universities that we're seeing today. So what would you have done then? I mean, had you been uh, Education Secretary at this point, let's say uh, a month or so, or maybe a couple of months back, would you have changed it? Would you have said, no, perhaps let's wait until after the winter, uh, and then maybe when we've got a better track and trace system, possibly a vaccine, that would be the point at which to begin? Well, I think the key point was the, the, the wild promises the Prime Minister made about a world-beating system, which, of course, just hadn't been delivered. So we've seen universities left in a very difficult position because we were promised a system that would be working, and it hasn't been delivered. Now, some universities, like the University of Cambridge, have, have come up with innovative solutions um, because partly they had the resources and the capacity to do it. Others don't. And that's a very unfair situation for the students who find themselves in universities which don't have the capacity to have their own testing systems. And in my city, we see that very dramatically because Anglia Ruskin University is quite understandably depending upon the NHS system, which frankly isn't up to the job at the moment. So aside from test and trace, how can we improve things for this generation of students? That's a big question. I think everyone is, is trying their best. I mean, there, is, there, there have been some interesting um, opportunities that come from this in the sense that some of the online learning and online lectures have actually proved popular and helpful. But it then leads to further problems in the sense that not all the students have the, either the IT system, the kit. That I'm being told that some of the software doesn't work on some people's um, laptops. And, of course, if people are actually not coming back to university cities and are working from rural areas, quite often the, the broadband isn't up to it either. So there's a whole range of things that, that, that could and should be done um, in general, but we are learning as we go along, I fear. But learning at this point, and obviously we're talking about learning in a more general sense as well, is there a way we can learn for next year? But we don't actually know what the situation will be next year, but is it possible to put into place things to make sure that the student experience uh, and the value they get from it is better? Well, I think it's pretty clear that some of the basic things around the testing um, need to be in place soon. And they may not be in place soon enough to make it work for this year, but for goodness sake, surely the government can get a, a proper system in place for next year. And I think what we have seen is that where you do have those systems in place, it's not the same as before, clearly, but you can begin to adapt to a different way of doing things. So the key thing is for the government, just get organised and get the test, track and trace system in place. Uh, and Daniel, you're the MP for Cambridge. It's a city that if you take out the students, you take out the tourists, it's an absolute ghost town. And I can imagine that's what it's like now. There must be a huge knock-on effect for the local economy. There is. And uh, for, for many years, the complaint in Cambridge was it was too busy. And 
there are some opportunities now um, for the for local people to reclaim their own city centre. But the truth is that for some traders, it's been absolutely devastating. And you're right, it's not exactly a ghost town because, of course, people live in Cambridge and work in Cambridge. But it has been a, a dramatic change and it's been very, very hard for some particular sectors. And that's why I and the Labour Party continue to argue for support on a sectoral basis because it's, it's not the same for everybody. Um, I'm talking to taxi drivers later this morning, for instance, and they're telling me that in some cases um, their, their, their trade's down 40%. So it, it's really hitting some people very, very hard. Let's take a, a wider picture on this as well, though, because it is interesting, Daniel, that a lot of people may be being put off the whole idea of higher education for them as a result of what they're seeing and hearing now, the difficulties that they've gone through. And that in itself can produce a wealth gap further down the line, uh, an education gap, of course, as well, which is a real problem for a society that's trying to be more equal. Um, well, you, you won't be surprised to hear that I, I'm not particularly convinced by the government's claims to make the society more equal. But you, you raise an, in, an important point. I think earlier in the summer, many people were very worried that we'd see a, a drop-off in the number of people um, coming to university this year. There was talk of many people deferring and there was talk of a big fall-off in international students. And it's interesting that hasn't happened so far, although we're not entirely clear how many of the international students will actually make it here. Um, so I think there's a real thirst for education out in the country, and I think people do, still do understand that it's um, a fantastic opportunity to be taken up by as many people as possible. And, and, and what about other levels of higher education? I'm thinking about masters. I'm thinking about postgrads. Uh, do, do you see any sort of risk that there might be uh, any hit to uptake there? Yes, there is. And um, I was actually had a had a call with the university's minister this morning to make that exact point. Um, I and my colleagues um, in Parliament had have been talking to student representatives from across the country and they've been telling us about the very different experiences of postgrads and international students. Um, remember, international students pay a lot of money and are a key part of the funding of the higher education system at the moment. So it's vital we make it possible and attractive for them to, to still come to the UK. And, of course, one of the problems is that pre-COVID, uh, the issues around um, the changes to the system because of Brexit and so on were making us less attractive to many in, in the first place. So COVID's come at a difficult time into what was already a complicated situation. And briefly, Daniel, of course, they're also the staff, the people who teach, the people who support the people who teach. They are putting themselves, I suppose, at risk in, in health terms, potentially, by being in these areas. Lots of young people gathering. We know it's a, it's a virus spreader, potentially. Um, are they concerned? Are you talking to them? Are you, are you getting a sense of what their problems are? Oh, very much so. And of course, there's a there's a big age spread in terms of, of the workforce there. And people are, are rightly very, very concerned. And I think it's, we've been absolutely clear that uh, they should not be teaching um, face to face unless all of the uh, COVID secure measures are in place and proper risk assessments have been done. And there's actually some some controversy over the risk assessments because there is a feeling, I think, that, that they haven't always been done in a, as comprehensive a way as they should be. And also a lot of the lower paid staff, of course, the caretakers, the cleaners, the people who work um, in, in, in providing the food and so on, all of, all of them are directly affected as well. So when decisions are being made as to whether to, to move solely to online teaching, I think it's, it's as well to remember that the universities play a huge role 
um, in local economies and local society, and it's many more people than, than just the classic undergraduate. It's sometimes seen as the student. There are many more people than that. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Back to the topic of today's special, which is the crisis playing out in Britain's universities. And one of the latest universities to be hit by a major coronavirus outbreak is Sunderland. More than 100 students there have tested positive, the majority of whom are clustered now in halls of residence. Well, joining us now is David Bell. He's the vice-chancellor of Sunderland University. Uh, Good to have you, David. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how teaching is working now. If lots of students are having to self-isolate, how are they able to continue with their studies? Well, we've adopted what we've called the hybrid approach. So half uh, of the uh, activity will be online and the remainder will be in person. And that seems to be working well because although we've got the 100 cases, we have a relatively small proportion of the university population um, self-isolating. So we're still managing to run this balanced approach between online and in person. But David, wouldn't it have been better really in these circumstances not to have had the students there? Because naturally young people gather together in these conditions, they're going to become virus spreaders almost inevitably, aren't they? Well, there's a range of subjects that students have to be on campus to study. So, for example, medicine here at Sunderland, nursing, engineering, teaching and the like. And actually, we believe that the majority of students want to have this balanced approach. Yes, they are concerned and they're anxious about the situation. We're trying to reassure them by making the campus safe. But I think the vast majority of students don't want, unless it's absolutely necessary, to move entirely online. So are students then being housed uh, with relation to the amount of in-person activity? I presume it's more sensible to to pick people in bubbles per subject, for example, if they're going to be all going to the same lab or whatever, rather than those who can also learn exclusively online? Well, this is a more difficult issue for a university like ours, where 65% of the students are mature and 85% of our students are commuters. So indeed, the, um, the number of students who are in student accommodation is relatively small. So there's a lot of traffic back and forward to the university on a daily basis. So it's not possible for us to organise the bubbles in the way in which you've described, but obviously all the arrangements on campus are very well organised to provide us maximum protection. So our nursing school, with a very large number of nurses in training, um, they are coming from all different parts of the city and the region, indeed the country. Uh, So we have to just make sure that when they're on campus, uh, they're absolutely safe and secure. And so far, the evidence suggests that we don't have any on-campus transmission of the virus. How do you know that, though, David? I mean, have you got adequate testing going on all the time? How can you be sure? Well, um, as far as testing is concerned, we don't have our own discrete university testing facility, although just this week a mobile testing unit has been put on the campus, but that's through the City Council uh, and the public health authorities. Now, that's got an advantage because it means that if our students do have symptoms and are sent for a test, at least there's the opportunity 
to come on campus to do that, if that's where they're directed. Um, and indeed, the number of testing stations in Sunderland as a city has increased. So I think at least the availability of testing is now greater than it was even a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so you say you're getting some support from public health authorities in terms of testing facilities in general from those authorities and from the government more widely. Are you getting enough backing to be able to uh, help students get the education that they need? Well, I would pay tribute indeed to the public health authorities and the city council who obviously play a major role in all of this activity. We've been working incredibly closely with those authorities, our people are involved in very regular meetings, so I have got nothing other than tremendous praise for the way in which the arrangements are working. And indeed, I think that points to something very important, doesn't it? That the people here who are in the city, who know the city well, who know how things work, it's really important that their voice is heard in the national planning. But as far as I'm concerned, it's working extremely well for us, and that's because of the great collaboration and cooperation we have with the folks who are working here in Sunderland. Could you say, though, David, to the people who are at Sunderland this year, you're going to get as good an education, as good a course, as good a service as you would have got any other year? I mean, is that a valid thing to say to them at this point? I I think it is a valid thing to say because although it's different and we're not pretending otherwise, you know, it's a really important uh, part of our strategy to ensure that the academic content of what students are doing is as good as it's ever been. And many of our courses are subject to external regulations, so pharmacy, medicine, teaching and so on. We have to maintain those academic standards as students are to uh, qualify. And as far as student support is concerned, more general support, we're, we're providing that. So the hardship funding that students need, the student mental health support, all of that has been done. Now, more of that has been done online, absolutely, much more than is normally the case. But so far, um, the feedback from our students has been positive, and I think they appreciate the efforts uh, that we are putting in to make this in these extraordinary circumstances, as good a year as is possible for them. What about those students, David, who say that they're not getting the same quality of education and, and want some discount or reduction of tuition fees? Does that sound acceptable? Well, the government's made it very clear that provided universities maintain the quality of what they are providing, then there is no case uh, for the refund of uh, tuition fees, and which, of course, are not paid up front uh, anyway. Uh, so I think there's an important point here that the onus is on universities to maintain the quality. And I know, speaking to my colleagues across the country, enormous amount of time and effort and money, indeed, has gone in because, you know, going online is not a cheap option. And therefore, we've been putting a lot of additional support in and additional money in to make sure that our courses are acceptable to students online. So I think the onus is obviously on us as universities to provide the quality uh, experience that students uh, rightly expect from us. But there's no objective measure in that, David. I can hear students saying, hang on, it's all very well good you marking your own homework and saying, yes, we're doing just as well. A lot of them feel you're not. And there's no outside body, independent, objective to measure that. Well, and there is indeed, and we are regulated by the Office for Students, which is the national regulator for um, higher education. And the Office for Students has made it clear that we uh, continue to be subject to the same arrangements generally that we've been 
subject to before. We're still subject to the oversight from the Competition and Markets Authority and what we say to students and what we provide to students. And I think ultimately um, the test of this will be will students progress and will they uh, make the academic progress that they need to make to complete their studies. So I think we're very sensitive to the fact and working very closely with our students to make sure that that experience is is, is a good one. And I know from our experience here at Sunderland, working with our students' union and the experience of universities across the country, we're trying very hard to work alongside our students uh, to make sure that things go well for them in what are undoubtedly very difficult yeah, but looking at the data, it's clear that the return to universities is spreading the virus. Is this not something that could have been better thought through, given that there's been an entire summer uh, for universities and for the government to plan ahead and find the best way of, of keeping cases at a minimum? Well, I think if you're going to maintain um, a degree of normality across the country, and I think that's been a common aim of government and, of course, many others here who want to try to uh, regain a sense of normality, then I think we've done um, all that uh, we could in the circumstances. We've put a huge amount of effort and time into the uh, control of measures on campus. We know that most of the um, major outbreaks across the country and universities do seem to be clusters in student accommodation, and we're trying to deal with that now. Um, but, but I think we've done what we were expected to do and what we wanted to do, which was to offer students um, as good an experience um, as we can. Because I don't think um, a, a, an instruction for all students to have stayed at home and to have done everything online would have actually been an acceptable uh, alternative to students. And therefore, I think we've got a responsibility to make these arrangements work as best as we can. And what about the staff? Because we've talked a lot about the students, their welfare, their interests, but obviously staff as well. As you said, it's not entirely online. Some things can't be done that way. What sort of guarantees can you give to your teaching staff uh, about their safety? Well, at the moment, we only have nine cases uh, amongst the staff of positive coronavirus um, tests. And all of those, as far as we can understand it, were not uh, contracted on campus. Um, and I think we make the same um, uh, assurance, we give the same assurance to our staff as we do to our students. We put a huge amount of time and effort in. We're listening, we're reacting uh, every day almost to things that are being raised that we think we can address and the staff want us to address. So I think this is just about working in collaboration with staff. And I think transparency is also incredibly important. We have just been really open and honest uh, with our staff as we are with our students making them, uh, making it clear to them what we expect of them and making sure that they have all the right lines of communication so they can tell us um, if they've got concerns. And I think so far that seems to be uh, working well. Uh, and what about finally, briefly, looking ahead to Christmas, are staff, are students going to be able to return home safely for Christmas? Well, I think there's quite a lot of thinking will have to be done about the, the Christmas arrangements, particularly, you know, some of this idea that's been spread around that there may well be a um, fortnight period in advance where students have to self-isolate. I mean, that's not altogether straightforward, particularly in a university like ours with so many students who are commuters. Um, we will do what we can. We'll see what comes out of the national uh, work and guidance on this. 
uh, matter. But again, going back to an earlier comment I've made, I think it's really important that central government works with local government and the local public health authorities. We know our situation better, and I think we need to be in the lead to make sure that we get sensible solutions, not just for Christmas, but all the way between now and then. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.